Go Loud. Podcasts, radio and music to your ears. Rory Cowan, I want to ask you one question, he said. Last year, he said, when you were living up in your ma's house and they were on holidays, I went up and I slept in the same bed with you for two weeks and you never laid a hand on me. He says, <laughs> what was wrong? So I started laughing. Yeah. And then that was it. And nobody cared. Around the world. Around the world. In 80 gays. In 80 gays. Around the world. Around the world. In 80 gays. In 80 gays. Heroes of our bygone days who fought for freedom and equality. Icons, anthems coming out. Pronouns, drag queen struggles, life and love. Around the world. Around the world. In 80 gays. In 80 gays. Around the world. Around the world. In 80 gays. In 80 gays. Welcome to Around the World in 80 Gays, a podcast hosted by me, Catherine Lynch. And me, Brian Kennedy. Each week we talk about gay culture, gay inspirations, gay icons, gay everything, Catherine. And Brian name drops every celebrity he's ever met. (laughs) I just can't help it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts. This is Around the World in 80 Gays. So here we are. Let's begin by telling people what they've chosen to commit 30 minutes of their lives to. Asha, why not, Catherine? We've decided to do the podcast because we want to hear more stories from our LGBTQIA plus people and about how rights and freedoms, or the lack of them, have shaped and shifted our guests' gay lives. We want to hear their coming out stories, or as we prefer to say, their letting in stories. And who let you in, Brian? (laughs) I think it was Elton John, was it? Elton! Elton! (laughs) Each week... Our guests will share with us who their gay icons are. And what their gay anthem is. And of course, not only is my co-host Brian Kennedy a gay man, he's also a Eurovision entrant, a flower-arranging muscle Mary, (laughs) a multi-platinum selling singer who has collaborated with everyone from... Joni Mitchell. To the fabulous... Boy George. Okay, everybody, take a shot every time Brian mentions a celebrity. Well, it's my truth, Catherine. Enough you. Will you please big me up now? Okay, deep breaths, everybody. Here we go. Uh, She's Catherine Lynch, Ireland's first female drag queen winning Alternative Miss Ireland in 1998 as well as being an All-Ireland champion red wine drinker I can attest to that. I did horn the corks into earrings I do did to be fabulous <laughs> She's also an actress singer comedian poet infamous for her camp comedy and madcap TV characters such as Busty Lycra drag, Sheila Sheik my favourite and Liz Hurley Dragish. <laughs> now that we've got our CVs out of the way let us introduce our first guest in this our very first episode Well he can currently be seen on our television screens in Fair City playing the role of Bosco and before that start in a tiny indie wee show nobody's really ever heard of called Mrs Brown's <laughs> Boys as the lovable Rory Brown oh Rory listen he's our inaugural guest Catherine are you excited I'm excited oh I'm so excited yes. uh, Rory welcome to the podcast yes. thank you very much for having me it's great to be here Ah, that's great. So listen, before we start, because Brian's going to take off, I just want to, I get very confused. So Jennifer, Brendan's wife, is his daughter, Cathy, on the show. And her sister, Fiona, is Brendan's neighbour, Winnie. Her daughter is Sharon and Winnie is his sister, Eilish, in real life. So Yes. And Sharon <laughs> is Brendan's sister-in-law and Buster is Brendan's son. Oh, my God. And uh, Maria is Brendan's daughter and Bono is Brendan's grandson. Okay, stop, please, my brain. Lister is Brendan's grandson. Another one of Brendan's grandsons. <clears throat> There's so a load of them. The gay member was the least of your problems, am I right? They weren't giving that to anyone in this family. They had to look outside for that. 
And they found you, Rory. And they Khan. found me. We must tell people at home who are listening. Rory Khan's also my neighbour. He lives up the road from me. Yes, around the corner. Yeah, so yes. occasionally we get together for, you know, a bit of gay gossiping and bubbles, yes. of course. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. So where did you first meet? Where did we first meet? Probably in a gay bar, I think. I think it probably was. I know you came to one of the shows we did in the Olympia. Yes, and, that's right. Uh, but I think we met before that. Um, I think I came up to you and said, hey, listen, I just want to say congratulations on all your success. Right, and you, you kind of looked at me like, are you serious? This was, that's right. I remember that that was Christmas Eve in the George. Mm-hmm. And what happened was nobody had said anything and about like congratulations on the success of Mrs. Brown's Boys or whatever it was. But you came up to me and I, I, it was so, so strange. I thought, is he slagging me? <laughs> and I went, what do you mean? And he says, no, congratulations. And I thought, oh yeah, th- thanks very much. That's you great, see, there's a lot very that, much. A lot about Rory Khan that people don't know. He, I mean, he is an incredible music fan. You started off your career with EMI Music, is that right? That's kind of right. behind the yeah. scenes. I got the best job ever in my life. I worked in a record shop in O'Connell Street that was owned by EMI. And my, wa- my take-home wages was £21.50 a week. I used to earn £28 a week, but... What year are we talking about? 1977. My mother, I was great at maths in school and my mother wanted me to get a job in the bank and I couldn't think of anything I would hate more. I just couldn't think about it. And I went to go for an interview type thing while I was in school and they showed me at the top of the form, it said your retirement date is... And I went... (gasps) I haven't even done me leaving and they're talking about me retiring. And I just couldn't think of anything I would hate more. And Brendan's wife, Jenny, she did actually work in the bank and she found that very strange as well because and she reminded me of it, um, that that's what it was. Um, And I I just honestly couldn't think. So I deliberately failed maths in me leaving cert. Because mothers can nag you into doing something you don't want to do. And they keep at you and eventually say, okay, I'll do it. And then you can't get out so I just failed so there was no way I could get a job in the bank and is it true that your parents were trade unionists is that right my father was a trade union official with the Irish Transport and General Workers Union and my mother was any any job she had she she was she came to shop steward mm-hmm. very quickly yeah. and they were always very union minded and my father was involved in the 60s and the 70s with travellers rights yeah. uh-huh. and uh, uh, would so you that, have tapped <clears> into gay rights my father never understood being gay it just didn't, like, my mother was trying to explain to him. What, he, there was something on the telly and he was about, uh, when they started talking about, um, uh, not gay marriage, it was years before that, it was civil partnerships. And he was, because he died in 2008. Mm-hmm. So they were talking about this years ago. And he's looking at the telly and going, what are they talking about? And my mother said, well, it's like two men living together. He says, ah, for what, we all used to do that when we went to England first. And <laughs> we were all working on the building sites. Every, we all, all the fellas used to sleep in the same bedroom. And I said, what's, what? they used to do that in England. Everyone done that. And he says, no, no, they'd be sort of in, like sleeping together. Ah, but yeah, it used to be like that as well. Like one would get out of bed and another one get into it. And then one it was a different form of top and, and bottom. That's what he yeah. was talking <laughs> And so, you said it, Rory, Catherine. how did you actually come out to uh, your father and mother then? Um, well, my mother always knew. And then when I was, I said to her years later, um, I said to her, Ma, you must have known. And she said, well, I did. She said, but it wasn't my conversation to be having. It was your conversation. But she said, there's one thing. I, I'm glad she said she never said anything because she had a weird way of looking at things. Mm. And when she said it, it was like, I get what she's talking about. She said, when you say, can you sit down? I have to tell you something. That's the premise that you're going to admit to doing something wrong. Yeah. And Ooh. she said, don't you ever say to anyone I have to tell you something oh, wow, that's you powerful. live your life and don't 
don't you don't have to explain yourself, but you certainly don't have to try and make it easier for somebody else. If yeah. they have a problem, that's their problem. It's not yours. She says, don't ever explain yourself. And another funny thing that she said to me as well, she said, uh, asked about boyfriends. And I said, no, I don't have any. I'm not interested. And she said, no. She says, you have to get a boy. You have to get a, a partner. And um, she says, no, and I'm going to tell you who to get. And I went, who? <laughs> who? Typical mother. Until she found out she was always trying to fit me up with women, <coughs> fix me up with women. And all, all I ever hear was, Rory Cowan, have I got a girl for you? And I go, oh, oh God, no. God, please don't do this. <laughs> but then when she found, when she realised I was gay and she and it was out there, she said, now we'll find a man. Now she said, what you have to do is, she said, find yourself a Chelsea supporter. Why? And this was in the <laughs> 80s. And I said, what? What are you talking about? Now, this was before Roman Abranovich brought over Chelsea. But in these in the 70s and 80s, Chelsea were winning nothing. They won nothing at all. Okay. But every week they had the most support, the biggest crowds at their matches. Yeah. They had the most supporters. And my mother said, Chelsea supporters have proved their loyalty. Oh. Even when they're not winning, they've proved their loyalty. So you find a Chelsea supporter and you've got a loyal man. And I thought... Oh, okay, I guess. Well, that's kind of gorgeous. Advice, isn't it? Until you come back with Chelsea Chandler. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Camp it up, Mom. Oh, no, I never got the Chelsea support, or I, I never know where did. That story was going because sports is completely one of the usual. Yeah, but that, she had a funny way of thinking. But when she'd say it, she'd get. I don't know what she's talking about now, yeah. and especially the don't tell, like say, oh, I have to sit you down and tell you something, or I've something I have to tell you. Yeah. Says, that means you're telling something, you, you, yeah. you're doing something wrong and you're hoping they'll forgive you or you're hoping that they're going That's to accept powerful. you. So she said, never do that. All this Brian, what out, was yours says, like ridiculous. on the false road? It must have been really you tough. You can imagine it was horrific, but I mean, they'd be pontificating from the pulpit, literally saying homosexuals would die in hell. <gasps> you know, that, those words left their lips, you know. Really? Yeah. So I think that it's, God love us as a nation, people couldn't even get their heads around heterosexuality, never mind any other kind yeah, of sexuality. Yeah, sure, we didn't even have condoms. You weren't allowed to be yeah. having, think of yourself as sexual at all. It, so Roy, you're talking about, you can imagine, I'm in the, it's the 70s, I'm up on yeah. the false road yeah. in the middle of all of that fire and war. Yeah. You're down, we're in Ballyfermot, or what part of Dublin? Well, we'd left Ballyfair. I was in Dundrum at the time because yeah. my father was a trade union official and he we he, he had to run a branch down in Athlone. Right. So we went there for two years. Uh-huh. Then he had to run Did a branch in Athlone. Did you live in Athlone for Athlone two years? Athlone for two years. Oh now my God. I loved it. Now I, I, I have deep empathy it. for you. Oh, far it. more so. We love Athlone. <laughs> no, I loved I absolutely loved it. I actually lived and in it a while we went, myself. He went, he went to Limerick and we went down there for another two years. Right. And I, I enjoyed, I liked Limerick as well. Yeah, um, me too. And then we came back to Dublin and it was around this time in Dublin that I started going on the gay scene. What was your first gay bar? I think that's... that's oh, my, no. first, my first gay bar was um, Bartley Dunn's and I went in there. I wasn't even... Four, I was a few months short of my 14th birthday. I was only... 14th birthday? I can tell you the day it was as well. It was the 24th of March, 1973. I was at a Slade concert <laughs> in the National Stadium. <laughs> what were you wearing? Someone hit me. I was wearing the... I just... All I had was a T-shirt. I had no jacket and a pair of bell bottoms and platform shoes. And 14. And I mean, I'd say you were about two stone. I was, I was as skinny as a rake. I think I had a 26 inch waist at the time and um, I wish I was like that again but anyway um, I was at the show and I had a seat in block H which was the wooden chairs at the front they weren't the fixed chairs they were the, the right in the front and the noise when Noddy Holder was singing like Slade were huge at the time yeah, I remember. and someone hit me over the head with a chair and I looked up I was on the ground and I sort of what's gone trying to get up and this fella said to me do you go to Benilda's college and I said 
Yeah. He says, if I, did, I used to go there, he says. I'm a trainee hairstylist now, but I used to go there. He <laughs> says, I thought I recognised you. If I'd known you, if I'd known, recognised you from the back, he said, I wouldn't have hit you with the chair. <laughs> and then and he what says, did he want? And then he says, come on, we could have it here. He says, Slade draw, Slade draws a very rough element. And I'm going, you're the hidden man of chair. Yeah, you, you're so the rough element. when we left, um, he took me by the hand and it seemed so natural just to hold his hand going out of the show and to leave the gig. Mm. Like, I thought, well, something's going to... This is a strange... I just knew that my life was changing that night. There was something happening. And we got outside and I says, where are we going? And he said, we go to Bartley Dunn's. And I said, what's Bartley Dunn's? It's a gay bar, it's fabulous, he said. Now, he was a year older than me. He was 14, maybe 15 at the time. And on the way, walking down from the National Stadium to Bartley Dunn's, he explained to me the whole gay etiquette, what we had to do, um, he said, now, when you go in here, he said, you don't give anyone your real... He said to me, first of all, what do you want to be called when you go in there? And I said, Rory, that's my name. He says, ah, no, no. He says, you can't go into your real name. Wow. He says, you have to have another name. Because it was said, illegal. Why? No, he said, blackmailers. Oh. If someone went to your mother and says, your son Rory is gay or your son Rory is queer, you're in trouble. But he says, if you pick a name like Maurice or something like that, <laughs> or whatever name you pick, he said, and they go to your mother and say, Maurice is gay. She'll say, I don't have a gay, I don't have a son called Maurice. He oh, said, wow, <laughs> great. And then he said, we also have to have a girl's name. And I was going, ah, here, what are you talking about? I don't want a girl's name. He says, no, you have to have one. Oh, and why the was reason that? was because uh, everyone had a phone, anyone who had a phone in their house, it was usually in the hall. And if somebody rang, your mother, your father, they're listening to see who you're talking to. And if you said, I was out last night with Stella and Alice and blah, blah, blah. And if Stella is Steve and Alice is Gary and whatever Yeah, Brady. And if I said Brian Kennedy, I'd say Jackie. <laughs> Jackie, <laughs> Jackie Kennedy. Kennedy. <laughs> so your parents who are listening or people in work, if you were working at the time, they would think you were talking about women. Of so course. it was all part of the gay armour. And that's what it was. And so he explained all this to me on the way to I mean, that's a Dose. lot of work. Mm. To just walk through the front door of a club. Yeah, and we walked in and now we were only there for a couple of minutes and the barman, out, <laughs> out. Really? They Why? Because you were underage? It would be, uh, definitely because it was, we were underage and I must have looked really underage. Well, I was only 13 at the time. I wasn't even 14. Yeah, and, uh, what, and the reason for that was the police were always ra- going into the bars. Yeah. And so the gay people were policing themselves. They weren't letting younger people in because yeah. that would be a reason to take people's names if the police came in yeah. and the reason then the names might end up in the paper and saying they were in a, uh, a bar yeah. and in those days how did it make you feel and you Brian uh, to be illegal that must be a really strange feeling it was looking like at the time it was great fun it's only looking back on it I realise God it was dreadful it was just it was, it was, it was awful it was, it was so bad because I've come to a stage in my life now I'm 62 and I've never had a proper relationship with anybody because we were brought up to believe, like the morals we had, we were brought up to have was, you're going to grow up, um, you're going to get married, you're going to get, you're going to get a job, you're going to get married, you're going to have children, you're going to live happily ever after. They're still there for women, by the way. When I hit 13, 14, especially when I went to the gate, I realised this is not for me. But there was nothing... Mm. No reference point for what else there was. And you're waking up hormonally at that yeah. point. Yeah, so, so you're going, 14, your body's okay. changing. And then everyone is saying, like if you're doing that, everyone's saying you're a pervert. Oh. Yes, everybody right. was against you. Yeah. And uh, if you did have a boyfriend, if you met somebody, what I found looking back, which I, it's, it's actually very sad when you look back on it, but it was just accepted at the time. If I had a boyfriend, 
um, especially when I was working. Um, now, even if I was in school or something like that, nobody in school or nobody, your workmates never knew, your family never knew, his family never knew, his workmates never knew, his friends or my friends never knew. So nobody knew. And that was gay, rela- most, uh, most of the gay relationships mm. at the time, nobody knew. Now, you ask yourself, if a marriage between a man and a woman at the time, how many marriages would have survived if they were told you have to be totally secret and you can meet yeah. in a bar, this one bar, but outside of that, nobody has to know you're together. They'd never last. No, and you've got wouldn't. a fake name, They'd you never, have to have yeah. a fake identity. Yeah. That's what struck me <clears throat> about your book. You know, I remember going to the launch of yeah. Mrs. Cowan's Boy, his yeah. beautiful book is called, ladies and gentlemen, um, that you talked about that's the part of our lives that generate, like I'm 55, yeah. you're 62. Mm. So me, gay men of our generation didn't ever get to just do normal things, like never. cultivate no. a relationship in, you know, in, in perfect sight of other people. When you're a teenager in your early 20s, you should be going out with all loads of different people until you feed the right one yeah. or whatever it is but that's usually the way it goes and you go out with loads of different people that yeah. doesn't happen that didn't happen on the gay scene because the relationships weren't they had no value they weren't even seen as relationships that's right and if you even if you were with somebody for years there, there was a, there was a few people who used to who did that but i they were very, they were few and far between at the time and even when they died they weren't recognized at the other half so even at oh. the end when you died you didn't you weren't seen the relationship right. wasn't seen as a relationship and maybe a brother even or a sister who hadn't spoken to you for years yeah. comes in throws the boyfriend out because he's no rights yeah. and and takes the home that oh, they shared i've, I've stories about that and i was involved yeah. in this situation like that and it was I remember where I was at this uh, this man I got a car from EMI in 1984 when I became the marketing manager I had a company car and a friend of mine rang me the exact same day and he said did you get your car and I said yeah he says I need you to come out to Sutton tonight he said and we're, we're helping someone move things and I thought okay so I went out and there was an old man an, an elder what I thought was an old man he was probably in his 50s or 60s at the time but he, at the, I was only in my 20s so I thought he was old and we went out and I, I wasn't talking to him he seemed to be in a room with just a few people around him but I was taken I was told put that picture in the car put that picture in the car take that silver and I thought are we robbing this house I thought this <laughs> is wow. crazy are we robbing yeah. but what was happening was the man had uh, he was in a relationship with another man the other man died that day and he was estranged from the family because the family didn't want to know that he was didn't want to accept he was gay and they would so he hadn't had anything to do with his family but by law mm. they were entitled to to take his everything assets, half that house and half of everything that was in yeah. it yeah. so we were moving stuff out so the family couldn't get it yeah. and Precious they rang things. me before they rang the ambulance or rang the police around they rang me can you get your car over oh, here before the family found out so we were moving all the valuables out of the house and the family did they moved in and and if you're but if you're legally entitled to something you will go for it it's no point in saying, oh, well, yeah. we, we leave it all to the other fellow he was with. No, you're legally entitled to it, so you will go for it. And that, did, that was a regular thing. Did those things that you went through all, th- all the way through 70s and 80s, was there ever a point that you just thought, you know, I, I don't want to be gay? I just, you know. No, I never did because, and the reason I didn't, because when I went on the scene, I met two wonderful friends. I met a good few wonderful, but there were two in particular, Ken and Robert, and they're still great friends of mine they're, today. They're their chosen <coughs> gay family, yeah. would you say and that? They, oh yeah, definitely. Mm. And uh, I've known them for over 40 years. And if I hadn't been gay, I'd never would have met them. Brian, did you ever feel this? You didn't want to be gay. Absolutely. It's a very confusing time because everybody around you in power was saying that's disgusting. It's unnatural. It's synonymous yeah. with that. I mean, you know, there were never any same sex couples around us uh, uh, that had a lovely context. It, the context was only in an abusive 
contact. Mm. So if it was two, I'll pa- that's Paddy and Johnny and they live up the street or that's old Iris and her best friend, you know, Teresa, who lived together for mm. 40 years. There were never those examples around. And certainly the subtle language for me, certainly when I was, I knew I was not like the other boys, was really they were edging me towards the priesthood. Which essentially, uh-huh. really, no one knew oh, that no. was a really bad. <clears throat> well, you got, and also the, the unspoken language is that yeah. that's where you put the gay boys. You wow. know, that's the biggest closet in the world. Is mm-hmm. what some people would say. So yeah, I mean, that language was very. Everything was very subtle in in terms of the straight people around me. Uh, nobody acknowledged it, but what they did acknowledge was how disgusting it was, how unnatural it was, and the confusing thing for me then as well. I've, I've always had women in my life that I've had really passionate relationships with. Some of which I had sex with later on. Not me now. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> the, the day is early enough. <laughs> and so you know. It's a confusing thing because you have all these feelings for the girls in my life yeah. that I and some of these those girls turned into women and, and they're my gay family. I'm talking about Anne and Mary, as you know, Catherine, and you've entered my life and become a best friend, too. So it's a funny thing to still have passionate, deep feelings for members of the opposite sex. We're just not having sex. But we're just not Same having thing. sex. I might as well be married to you someday. Well, <laughs> some, well, as you say, you know, how do you know somebody's married? They're not having sex, yeah. you know. But I felt well, you, learned, me. Sorry, you learned very early, yeah. Yeah. like when you go on the gay scene very quickly you learn to be aware of what you listen to what people are saying because yes. you have to suss them out are these going to be friends or enemies mm-hmm. and uh, it's straight people not gay people but all the people around you you really start to suss out very very quickly um, and just by listening and I think that's probably why I ended up going into acting because acting mm-hmm. really is just listening and reacting to what you hear Well um, I suppose for me from a straight point of view I just am baffled all the time by the powerful strength the courage mm. that I was introduced to when I came up to Dublin in the late 90s and I went to gay bars and yeah. there was all these fabulous anthems and icons. Mm. So I just, when was that moment in your life where you went, OK, I have the power now. I see somebody in my culture that I can actually look up to. Mm. Well, initially, when I was when I was gay first with this friend of mine that I talk about in the book, Justin, now that's not his real name, but that's because he has family still alive and they, there was lots of stories in there and he committed suicide later on. He took his own life in the 80s. But um, nobody knew I was gay. Nobody even knew I was friends with him. And now there was nothing ever happened between us. We were just great friends and we were like buddies that spurred each other on to go up to mad things when yeah. we went out and it was it was it was fantastic but nobody else knew but then when I met Ken and Robert and stuff like that then because I was always thinking if I tell anyone I'm gay it's going to be if, what if they don't accept me then I've no friends I've stuck out here in Dundrum I've nothing oh. but when I got friends when I met Ken and Robert then it was a case of well I don't really care now yeah and that was when, your power and then that was it because now I had if me friends from school didn't like it well to hell with them I have new friends I don't care mm. I mean new friends were becoming my best friends anyway and I was spending more time with them so it didn't matter to me but I never got the chance to come out um, I was found out um, I moved into an apartment with a girl that I know Annette and we had this apartment in Milltown and there was a two bedroom apartment. My mother would never come down to the apartment because she thought I was living with Annette and I was living in sin. And she said, I'm not encouraging that. So, so even she that would, wasn't right. So, she wouldn't, yeah. right. so she wouldn't come down. But we were at a party one night and I'd met this fellow who used to sing in restaurants and stuff like that. And he was a lovely singer. <laughs> and I just, there was always girls hanging around him. And, but we got on and I just assumed he was straight. And we were in my uh, in the apartment and chatting away. It was a big party going on. And he said, uh, 
Would you show me the apartment? And I said, yeah, all right. It's not much to see. I said, there's two bedrooms. I said, that's the nets. I said, but we can't go in there. I said, there's the bathroom. I said, the, the nets one has a non-suite. Said, and lovely curtains. And blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> he says, and where's your bedroom? I says, that's there. He says, we'll have a look in there. So we went in mm-hmm. and he locked the door. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Sort of, I can't remember whether he dived on me or I dived on him, but we dove, we dove, we dived yes. on each other. And um, I could hear people saying, where's Rory in the size around somewhere, blah, blah, blah. And next thing from outside the window, I didn't realise that the balcony from the sitting room, if you leaned out, you could see into the bedroom. Oh, no. And somebody shouted, he's in bed with a fella. He's a queer. Oh, no. And now once I heard that, he's a queer in my flat, in my apartment, I just jumped up out of the bed, wrapped a towel around me and went in. I says, right, who's had to call me a queer? Party's over. Everyone out. Good out, for out, you. Get out. Get wow. out of here. And then a friend of mine from school, Sean Dawson, he just said, Rory Cowan, I want to ask you one question, he said. Last year, he said, when you were living up in your ma's house and they were on holidays, I went up and I slept in the same bed as you for two weeks and you never laid a hand on me. He says, what was wrong? So I started laughing. Yeah. And then that was it and nobody cared. But then when I went back into the room and I could hear the, the, the again the phone phone out in the hall I could hear, you won't believe who's queer and I'd say gay oh, and they say yeah yeah sorry Rory it's Rory I'm down yeah, honest to God and it was all night there was just a long line of people queuing up to use the phone to ring everyone they knew to out so you. that's how it was that's how I was that's it never I never got a chance to come out yeah. I was found out and that was it but it was not one of my friends had a problem with it none of them that's very rare I yeah, think not one of them had a problem with it yeah. they were all and even Girls that I knew, the gorgeous looking girls who never even looked at me when we were growing up or anything like that, who never looked at me. They, uh, there was some things with some of them that thought, oh, who just needs a good woman? And they all assumed they were the good woman. Yeah. So I was being I offered everything and I'm going, my God, oh, if only... If did you straight- ever have a girlfriend? Oh, yeah, I did. I had did girlfriends. You have one, Brian? I, yes, I did. I had a couple of girlfriends. I never had one, damn. Not yet. <laughs> I know, yeah, I did. I used to go out with girls when I was in school. And it was did you like, have sex with girls? I, I did. And um, What did you think there was, when you were doing no, that? No, I was fine. You know, when you're that age, when you're young, your hormones are just, yeah. I mean, a cracked right. place. You know well, as I always mean, say, you're a hostage to yeah, your hormones. Yeah, you are. So and you just, you, you, that it, takes you it drags you around, like your hormones just drag you. But I realised very quickly when um, I just thought, because I was always had to be honest with myself and I mm. thought, Rory, you've got to stop going out with girls yeah. because you know you're not going to stay with them. That's right. So you're really just leading them on. And it's not right. They could actually be looking for somebody else. So that else. means all my exes were actually gay. So <laughs> I didn't want, I didn't want to have, I didn't want to be doing that. I'm only, I just assumed I was making a fool of them. Oh, that's if I was to do that and I copped onto that very young. And so, and then once I had gay friends then and mm. I was out, that was it. So how did you virtual signal that you were gay to society? Like, what was your ah, gay geez, icon? Everyone, my, my gay icon. For for some reason, like I'd heard all this like Walk on the Wild Side, but at the time when I heard that in the early 70s, I, was, I wasn't sure who the characters, what they were talking about. When they said a hustle here, a hustle, I thought yeah. they were talking about like the film The Hustler, people playing pool and taking right. money off. I, so I didn't and candy, know. Candy, um, candy of came. Yeah, yeah. Take a walk on the wild I, side. So I didn't get what the character, but I, I liked the song and I knew there was something there. And there was... 
of Rod Stewart, um, The Killing of Georgie. But that was like a stereotype. The, do you know that song, The Killing no. of Georgie? It's the most spectacular oh, it's song. fabulous. And, and it's about and, the and killing it goes, of a Georgie, gay man. Georgie Boyle yeah. was gay, I guess. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. Really, But like the first of its kind, I oh, think. It was, but there was nothing else around yeah. that at the time. And there was another one, Georgina Bailey by Nusha Fox. And that was a, that was a good one. Mm. But there was a few of them out. But the one that really got me that I thought was, oh Jesus, this is great. It was Bransky Beef, Small, Small Town Time Boy. Boy. Wow. That just yes. showed the shame of everything of yes. being beaten up and being caught by the police and being brought home having to your parents to and having to leave yeah. home. And it was just that Heartbreaking. song, just the and, and the video when I saw There's it. There's a loneliness it about that just, song. That's what it is. Too. I thought that, that, that was just brilliant. So that yeah. would be my gay anthem yeah. because that really spoke to me when I was now I was never beaten up or anything like that so I was nothing ever nothing like that ever happened to me but that seemed to be the first really true song like even the Killing of Georgie the Rod Stewart song he died in the end and it was like oh come on yeah, because I used yeah. to hate all that the gay people they had to come to a bad end or they had to in, be crazy in or song, they had to be yeah, or, they, or something yeah, or dirty yeah. old men or something like, yes, they had to be right. all that so I so I never bought in because that was never what I saw and then when you do realise mm. when I did think look back on it later I actually know people that were murdered Yeah. Um, Frank McCann who was a very good friend of mine was murdered oh. in the front lounge and oh, um, there was a that. lot That's of people right. that I knew and Panty was on the show that night and I, but I don't know how Panty ever got over that because he was I was in Manchester with Mrs Brown's boys on that night <laughs> and so there was you sort of think oh gay people they come to a sad end but then when you look back you go well actually some of the ones I know did and yeah. it was it was it was really really bad you would have gone through the whole um, AIDS um, epidemic as well yeah. Um, that was our Brian, first pandemic, really, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. yeah. This is this. Yeah, the COVID. Like, that's not. That's not Air Force Rodeo. We went yeah, through the other exactly. one. As well. <laughs> Who would have been your person icon that you saw yourself in, or you went, "Oh my God, that person is powerful." Mm. The person that I thought was powerful. Um, I always liked really people who are out there. Mm. Boy George, I thought was amazing yeah. because he never, now he's, he'd be younger than I am, but I really admired him. He's only him. a wee bit younger. And the reason I admired him was he was just himself. Yes. Elton John got married. Yeah. Freddie Mercury was denying. That's right. Elton married a woman. Freddie Mercury was denying. Everybody was denying. Who Even Daniel LaRue would come out yeah. at the end and say, what's your mate? Yeah. Dressed as a guy. So he was never fully himself. Whereas yeah. as you say, boy George, boy George, from the get-go. From the very beginning. Yeah. And it could have destroyed his career, but he didn't, ca- like he wasn't playing that game yeah. that the rest of them were playing. He was playing. courageous. He was he was now, out to be there fair and I loved to it. the listeners at home. Was Boy George did do that. I'd rather have a cup of tea than have sex line. So he was playing it very well. Well, he was probably a heroin addict at the time, so he probably <laughs> yeah. wasn't interested <laughs> in having sex later, if think, you're yeah, doing that. Right. But Brian, who was your gay icon? Would have been Boy George too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think because um, certainly we had. I just missed the David Bowie thing. I just missed punk. Uh, even though punk wasn't, but punk was poetry really, with just an angrier voice, wasn't it? Johnny Rotten yeah. is one of the greatest poets I think alive. Yeah, he's fabulous. Um, but I think that certainly when suddenly you came, Boy George appeared in full makeup and beautiful hair oh and all those kind of nearly looking like dresses, clothes, Japanese kind of beautiful yeah. clothes that he had on. Um, it certainly caused a conversation, even on the Falls Road. Did you think? Did you see that last night? Was that a boy? Was that this I knew a man he was or a, a woman? Oh, that, no, that was the conversation. I knew yeah. he was a man immediately. Of course yeah. I did. And even. Um, Sorry, the following Halloween, I was in the Pink Elephant and there must have been about 10 Boy Georges there, at least. <laughs> and there were men and women all dressed up as Boy George. Right. I mean, when he hit first, it yeah. was huge. 
And it was affectionate. And it was overnight. And you know, people loved him. My mother adored him. Yeah. And I remember when it came out. And I remember when she said, uh, it was on television that his brother had come out and said, oh, he's got eight days to live or something like the heroin That's addict. Right. And my mother was going, oh, his poor mother. And I'm going, what? His poor mother. He's the one last days. And, just, <laughs> and, and I got it then. It was another thing that your mother would say. That was every mother's worst nightmare. Your child being a drug addict. Your child taking right. drugs. So she was thinking, oh, God, love his poor mother. Sure. And I'm going, come on, come on. Dinah, what she a, a, a real dub dad? Yeah, I met home. her because, uh, again, she's related to Brendan O'Carroll's wife. Right. Um, Brendan's, si- another sister-in-law is married to a guy called something Valentine. And Dinah mm-hmm. is a Valentine. Oh, and is she? They are and now related. I'm confused. They're related <laughs> to Brendan's wife. So I met her. She came to our shows a few times in the O2 in yeah. London. And she's a lovely woman, like a very nice woman. No, no nonsense with well, her. Well, trust great. the Irish to throw an yeah. icon like that into the mix in the 80s. Don't you love that? Isn't it amazing? Yeah. You've recorded with him, Brian. I'm very lucky to have recorded a few things with him on his record. I made a record called uh, a, a Love Letter to Joni Mitchell. And he heard that record. And uh, we got chatting on the phone and he invited me over to sing on his record, This Is What I Dub. For all those people listening, do check it out. It's an amazing record of his. This Is What I Dub. And the song is called Things Are Going to Change. It's a really wonderful duet. So then I said to him, look, will you come and sing on something of mine? And sure enough, two years later, he recorded with me on my song, Christopher Street. And again, check that out. So this is all on beautiful iTunes, song. all these things. Beautiful song, yeah. Christopher Street. Actually, Brian gave me this ring that I have on my finger, which he bought on, on Christopher, Christopher Street, Street. I, huh? I wear this all the time I've worn yeah. this ring for I years I seem to be the person that buys watches and rings and things and they always end up with other people I don't well I don't them. have any jewellery at all because I think jewellery should be bought for, for you, you it's I a agree. gift and no, nobody ever bought me well, jewellery well funny ever. we have a Tiffany bracelet for you here <laughs> on the show we're giving well, one I do to every guest but I do hint from your friend yeah. Tiffany yeah. Yeah. but you see that's the thing Like, because I say people should buy you gifts but I didn't I never had relationships that were that ever got that far like I remember yeah. I was going out with somebody and when we split up I was broken hearted and I'm sure he was but I was really broken hearted mm. and but I was working in EMI at the time and I had to go to work the next day and nobody knew I was broken hearted yeah. and I couldn't let them know um, my family didn't know my friends mm. didn't nobody knew that I was I'm sure there are listeners. Heap over that. Yeah. And that would have been the story for an awful lot of people. The men and women out there, exactly. The, the loneliness of yeah. that. And they didn't know. That and that's... And it's only when you look pain. back at it. Yeah. yeah. And so again and again. you look back at it and you just go, oh God, it really wasn't great for us now. It really wasn't. Rory, tell us something that maybe you've never told anybody before that we, we wouldn't know about you. I, I think it is interesting that you've got an incredible connection to music, to EMI, to working with Tina Turner and Kate Bush and all those things. But is there something, Rory Cowan, that we need to know about you that we don't know you've never told anybody well a lot of people wouldn't know about the background of working with all the well the funny the, the funniest thing was because I found a picture last night of myself with uh, Bruce Dickinson oh Iron, yes Iron, Iron Maiden, Maiden the yeah. Iron Maiden singer and in the photograph and I put it up online sometimes there's a few of us from EMI and he's there in the front and uh he would blend in with the wall. You wouldn't, if you saw He's him. He's a little fellow, like, tiny, isn't he? tiny guy, but he was just day. there and you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't notice him um, with the clothes he was wearing. And I said to him, the difference, I said, when you go on stage, I said, and you're, you can't take your eyes off you. Yeah. I said, you're, you're silver and you're, you're black leather and you're jumping around the place. And he said, and your hair's all out. And I, I said, um, your hair's all hooshed up. And he said, <laughs> well, that's just so as I can be seen from the back of the arena, really. He said, yeah. this was the days before big screens. Mm. And I took that with me when <laughs> Brendan O'Garrell said to me one night, <laughs> the actor who's playing Rory has left. You know the lines, you're on stage tonight. And I'm going, what? 
<laughs> never on a stage in my life. And I went out and I bought, I said, right, how am I going to get seen from the back? So I bleached my hair blonde and I got the brightest of clothes and everything. And that was all down to Bruce, Bruce Dickinson's right. advice. Way. And the man cleaning, of course. <laughs> Oh so, God! Um, don't speaking of me. advice, what's the best advice uh, you've ever received as a gay man? Oh, good question. Oh no, uh, the best advice I've ever re- the best advice I've and again it wasn't advice; it was sort of people saying like where somebody said to me, "I'm I'm a hundred percent right. Trust your instincts. Oh, mm. like always, trust your instincts, especially about people, because yeah. you don't know who's going to stab you in the back. You could have great friends, and as soon as there's a row, they will bring up the gay thing, or they will make an accusation against you, or something like that. And it does happen. So they said, use your instincts, and uh, especially when it comes to people, that's good um, advice. Don't uh, don't sort of leave it go. Don't like if you so if you're, if you're your good instincts. feeling, yeah, trust your trust instincts. Your if instincts. your guts are telling trust you this is not someone to be trusted, don't. So trust anyway, them. Um, well then. Thank you so much, Rory, for joining us. Okay, was it all right? So sad that it's over. (laughs) You know what? I might even go home and watch an episode of Mrs. Brown's Boys. (laughs) Calm down now. (laughs) Yeah, I might have come to my senses by the time I get home. I'll go and have a watch. Look at the ones I'm in. They're hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, it was really wonderful to have you here, Rory. I enjoyed it. it. Thanks very much. um, Before we go, we decided we want to leave all our listeners every week with an inspirational quote from our LGBTQ plus 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 and. And um, this week, it's Oscar Wilde. What is it, Brian? Well, are you prepared for this? OK, everybody, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. I thought that was RuPaul. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, everyone robs from Oscar Wilde. Of course. <laughs>